Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey everybody, welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. Just a bit of housekeeping stuff, as we usually do before each episode. We got a great response on our first episode on this subject matter, the Boston Chinatown Massacre in 1991. There was a lot I didn't know about this case. I remember when it happened, and it was a big deal. I mean, it was wall-to-wall coverage for 60 days or so. And then when those guys go on the lam, the FBI gets involved, and when they eventually get tracked down, I'll tell you more about that in this episode, but when they get tracked down, the trial was very interesting. All right, guys, before I get too far afield, if you want to get a hold of me, please email me at barry at bostonconfidential.net. That's definitely the best platform to get a hold of me, barry at bostonconfidential.net. I'll try to get right back with you. All right, guys, so this massacre, indeed it was a massacre, happened on January 12, 1991. If you missed our first episode in the series, you might want to go back and listen real quick. But this is the background. There's a gambling parlor run by the Ping On Gang of Boston's Chinatown District operating at 85 Tyler Street. And the police generally gave these games a good leaving alone, but they were high stakes. And there was numerous parlors like this. A lot of times they played high-level mahjong, which again, I didn't know, but they'd advertise on paper post-its on lampposts and bulletin boards around Chinatown. And the police generally gave it a leaving alone because they were so insular, right? And quite frankly, during this time frame, the Boston police really had very few Asian officers. And more than that, even the officers they had didn't speak Chinese. It's a very complicated language. A lot of American-born Chinese do not speak the native language, quite frankly. We're going to get a little bit into motivation in this case because it's largely absent. And man, the Chinatown neighborhood is kind of a mystery to a lot of Bostonians, you know. In his article in Boston Magazine, Chris Burdick gets it right, I think, in terms of motivation and history of this case. He actually throws out a few options in terms of motivation, and they could all be accurate. One that has a street beef, one that is more respect and money focused, and I think that's the one that I believe the most, and we're going to get into them right now. But I just wanted to give you the names of those who were murdered. I think they're forgotten in all this, and here they are here. Guys, I know I'm going to butcher these names. Bear with me. I mean no disrespect. I'm kind of just a dummy. But the first one of five killed was Man Chung. The second was David Quang Lam. Third, 
Chung Wa Sun. Four, Van Tran. Number five, Dai Kyung. And I believe number five, Dai Kyung, was the actual target here, and I'll tell you why in a minute. The sixth person shot, whom survived, is Pak Wing Lee, and he'd be the key to this entire case. The perpetrators are reported to be Pham Tian Hung. He was known as Uncle Suk. Nam the Tam, T-H-A-M. He was known as Johnny Chung. And Sinny Van Tran, his nickname was Toothless Wah. And one of the things I take from this case, apparently all mafias have crazy nicknames that you're just supposed to accept. You know, I think the Italians have Jimmy Bones and the Cheese Man. And I guess the Asian gangs have Toothless Wah and the Wrinkled Skin Man. So there you go. I guess nicknames are a thing in whatever mafia you're a part of, right? So just in terms of background, Uncle Sook, Fam Teen Hung, he's actually the one that's still on the loose here. He seems to be directing all this. He is a stone gangster. He's ethnically Chinese, but was born in Vietnam. So in the absence of Stephen Tsai, T-S-E, remember he was the sky dragon of the neighborhood, basically the godfather. And he was a gangster directly from Hong Kong, and he was running Chinatown. But in 86 or 87, he got caught up in a beef with actually with Congress. He refused to testify before committees investigating Asian organized crime in America. And he did a short stint in the can. And after that, he returned to Hong Kong. And in the meantime, there were some Vietnamese gangs kind of ramping up to take control of Chinatown. But during this time frame, Uncle Sook, Tam Tian Hung, was acting basically as godfather in the absence of Stephen C. And this guy, Uncle Sook, had two gambling powers of his own. He had negotiated with the Sky Dragon to have his own little drug operation within Chinatown in the combat zone. So this guy was a stone gangster. It was said he liked flashy cars, and he had a lot of dealings in prostitution. So there was always women on his arm. The typical gangster, you know what I mean? And one thing I didn't know about this case was before the massacre on January 8th, 1991, Uncle Sook was a suspect in another homicide. So things were really firing literally in Chinatown, from the Ping Ong gang, and that's who these guys belong to. So in the absence of the Sky Dragon, it seems that Uncle Sook here was the godfather. He had 200 men subordinate to him. So the first theory that the author Burdick, Chris Burdick, puts out in his article, Shadow of the Dragon in Boston Magazine, is this. Burdick lays this out pretty well, and it's a simple theory. Uncle Sook, and that's Tham Teen Hung, Nam the Tham, that's Johnny Chung, and Sinny Van Tran, Toothless War, were drinking in the late night hours or early morning hours of January 12, 1991. 
I'm assuming their night started on that January 11th, 1991, goes to midnight, January 12th. So they're drinking in the Naked Eye Strip Club on Washington Street, which is kind of just around the corner from this gambling hall on Tyler Street. And this strip club, the Naked Eye, was an absolute den of iniquity. If you were looking for trouble, the Naked Eye would have been the place to go. But at the Naked Eye were those three assailants, the Ping On gang members. And I think these were stone gangsters, these three. And they had an argument with David Quang Lam, one of those people later shot. It's reported that they had a loud but quick argument. And then Lamb left. He left the strip club and they later regrouped at the gambling parlor at 85 Tyler Street. That's a straight street beef. I think there's more to it here. When you shoot five people in cold blood, there has to be money or power involved. I think that was the case here. Let me tell you about the second theory behind this Chinatown massacre. This theory centers around Dai Kyung. And his real name is Kwang Kand Lu. But his street name is Dai Kyung. And Dai Kyung was a stone gangster and he was from California. And there's a couple things about this guy. In 1998, Stephen Tsai learned that this guy, Dai Kyung, was in Boston demanding $30,000 from one of his underlings, a fellow gang member. So the Sky Dragon gets involved and negotiates it down to his guy only owing Dai Kyung 15 grand. And I guess they were okay with that. And the person who owed the money was ready to pay him. He had the cash altogether. But what pissed Steven Sai off, the Sky Dragon, was Dai Kyung demanded to have this exchange at the Kung Fu restaurant where Steven Sai, the Sky Dragon, that was his place. A lot of gangsters in there, not a lot of tourists. His restaurant was called the Kung Fu, which was also on Tyler Street, but on the other end, the more touristy end of Tyler Street. The Sky Dragon was infuriated by this disrespect. It wasn't enough that you're going to collect $15,000 from someone in his gang, but you're going to do it in his restaurant. He took extreme offense to that. He's quoted as having said, have I died? Am I no longer here? Like, basically, am I just a peasant to be run over? And this guy wasn't, and he was very upset about it. So that's 1998. The Pingong gang was so angry with this guy, they formulated a hit on him on December 29th, 1988. And Stephen Tsai allegedly told Uncle Sook at that time, who is, seems to be the right-hand man for the Ping-Ong gang, he told him to get the heavy metal, meaning machine guns, and they did, and they caught up with Dai Kyung in a parking lot in Chinatown, and they opened up with an Uzi and another automatic or semi-automatic rifle, but nobody was killed, remarkably. So one of the reasons I go with this theory is because there's already shooting involved. There's crushed honor and money involved and the Sky Dragon, right? So I think this Dai Kyung was the main target at the gambling hall in 1991. 
But in the interim, this Dai Kyung was trying to start a, another gang starting in California called the Whole Earth Society. And they were going to group all these triads, the, the Chinese Asian mafias together under one umbrella. And that would have left Stephen Tsai and his Ping On gang out in the cold making no money. So after the hit on Dai Kyung, in 1988, he is said to have fled Boston and was regrouping. I don't know if it was in California or in New York, but he was grouping together a group of hitmen to come back to Boston to kill Stephen Sai, the Sky Dragon of Boston. And somehow, some way, he ends up coming back in 1991 and he's showing himself around Chinatown like nothing else had happened. So during that 1988 hit on Dai Kyung, definitely Stephen Tsai gave that order. Did he give the order to kill all those people in this gambling hall? I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what happened there. It seems a bit stupid. You're going to have the police knocking over all your gambling parlors, just generally giving you a hard time, and it would turn Chinatown upside down, and it did. So perhaps this was supposed to be smaller and there was just witnesses involved. And I think that's about what happened during the shooting, right? Because when Nam the Tham, T-H-A-M, was captured several years later, he did spill to the police and he stated that Uncle Sook told him to kill, kill, kill the wrinkled face man and Dai Kyung. So I think it was this Double homicide was planned, and they have all these other witnesses there. I don't know why they didn't just take care of those two. I don't know. I don't know the dynamics of this Ping On gang, but it just seems to be massively heavy-handed. Were they trying to send a message? Because they certainly did. But Chinese organized crime is even more silent than their Italian counterparts, you know? Omerta comes from the mafia, but I think it's perfected by the Chinese gangsters. They really don't talk. They don't do a lot of business out in the street. You don't see them dumping bodies right out on the street like, you know, Winter Hill or La Costa Nostra. You just really don't see that. And this was more representative of La Costa Nostra or Winter Hill than anything I've ever seen. So, guys, I think I said in the first episode, I should probably correct myself that after the first person was shot inside the club, and I think he was shot on the first floor and everybody else was shot down in the basement. But I think I said, guys, it went quickly after that. It really didn't. From the time the first person was shot to the last person, I think it took about five or six minutes. Some of these guys were begging for their lives, saying, I'll work like a horse for you, just general pleading. And that's what happened to the survivor here, Pack Wing Lee. He said, don't shoot me, he's begging for his life. And the next thing he hears is bang, and it's lights out. And he wakes up sometime later, and it's all over. And Pack Wing Lee crawls to an exit, and he still can't get out. And that's where those pedestrians saw him and alerted the security guard at the hospital. And he was ultimately saved. And when security and the police got there, there was another man who had been shot in the head. And they said he was gasping for air 
like a guppy, you know, like a goldfish out of water, you know. And he passed away, so he had been shot in the head as well. So Nam the Tham had stated that Uncle Sook had told him to make sure he killed the wrinkle-faced man and Dai Kyung. And for some reason, they let the wrinkled skin man go, and he'd later provide IEDs for all three perpetrators. There was another guy there by the name of Chung Wa Sun, and he was the doorman. His street name was the Four-Eyed Guy or the Shanghai Man. Again, kind of funny names, right? Kind of like the Italian Mafia and, and some of my Irish brethren. For some reason, he gets a pass as well. I don't know if he ran out after the first person was shot or they let him go. But they did let the wrinkled face man go, and it's perplexing, really. I sometimes wonder if they realize how close they came to a, an ungodly death in the basement of a gambling hall. And they said they were playing cards down in the basement. I don't know if that includes Mahjong or what, but they were playing some high-level stuff, and they said it was a robbery before they started shooting people. It wasn't a robbery because I think there was money there and it wasn't taken. Imagine that. So Nam the Tham, when he spoke to police, he said he was kind of frozen in place. But I don't believe that because he shot people as well. There was six people shot in the head, and there was 12 shots from three guns. And this took place over five or six minutes. So they seemed to be deciding who to kill and who not. I don't understand the dynamics of that time frame, you know. It's crazy. And it was a bloodbath. And I feel like I'm not getting that across. This was horrible. Blood was everywhere. And who the hell do these people think they are to do that? They knew these people. They knew the victims, you know. I know you've got some street beef with Dai Kyung, right? And the wrinkled face, man. But everybody else gets it in the head for just being there gambling in your parlor, making you money. It's just a strange, strange thing. And I think that motivation laid out by Burdick is right, but there may be more to it. And it may all be lumped together, right? The other guy pissed them off at the Naked Eye Strip Club. That could be legitimate as well. But I think Uncle Sook was the main gangster here, and he may have done this without authorization from the Sky Dragon. So on that morning of January 12, 1991, there's several pictures of the Boston police loading people into the medical examiner's trucks and all that. That had to be a horrible scene. And back in those days, the Boston cops wouldn't get any treatment for PTSD, right? And, man, just to have to wade through that, there had to be blood and brain matter all over the place. And I think there was. It was just a bloodbath. It's a massacre. But people were asking me at the end of the last episode, so what happened to these guys? It seems like the assailants, Uncle Sook and Nam Tham and Cinny Van Tran, of those three, it seems like Uncle Sook was the boss. They drove to Atlantic City and went to one of the casinos to gamble. And they were holed up there for a while. And then they went on to... Philadelphia. And at some point, I don't know if they flew out of New York City or Philadelphia, but they went to Hong Kong and got lost in China. 
at that point, I believe Hong Kong was still a territory of Great Britain and not ruled in totality by China. And poof, they were gone. They were gone for about seven years, and then two of them were caught, guys. Nam the Tham and Sinny Van Tran, I believe they were caught separately, but I'm not entirely sure. And I think the charge was drugs in China, which is a death penalty. But there was no extradition between China and the United States, and that continues today. But they shipped them back to Hong Kong, which was under British rule at the time, and the British sent them to New York and from New York to Boston, and they faced trial there. And so Sinny Van Tran and Nam the Tham were convicted of various levels of homicide, all of which were first-degree homicide and all of those penalties are mandatory life in prison. They're still in the joint today. They had just finished an appeal, you know, just some years ago, and it wasn't going anywhere, you know. You've got the wrinkled face man or the wrinkled skin man. I'm sorry, I know I refer to him both ways, but it's still the same guy. He provided identification testimony, and Pak Wing Lee really shut the door on those two, the prison door. Pak Wing Lee was shot by Uncle Sook himself. So I guess the bullet that went into him kind of skirted around his outer skull without penetrating. And he was knocked out due to the velocity of the bullet hitting his head. But he woke up and all the assailants were gone. What a stroke of luck, you know. And he did testify against those other two so apparently at that time, unbeknownst to the Boston police, I think, the FBI was looking at Ping On and Chinatown in Boston and in San Francisco almost simultaneously. So by the mid-90s, guys, Steve inside the Sky Dragon was arrested with a lot of his lieutenants and it wiped out Ping On in the Chinatown neighborhood. I think it fully destroyed that gang. I know there's something else that took their place in Chinatown in terms of organized crime. I really don't know what that is. In Berwick's article, he goes on to say the murders in Chinatown really dropped after this, after they got rid of the Ping On gang, and it's really been an improvement. So, guys, Stephen Tsai, the Sky Dragon, and his lieutenants were arrested this was mid-90s, so if it was 95, 96, Stephen Tsai was scheduled to be released from prison on those beefs of drug trafficking, I believe, and some level of organized prostitution. He was due to be released in 2007. I haven't heard a thing about him since. If he was smart, he would have got out of the joint and just head for the hills. I'm sure he had some money stashed away just for a rainy day, but... I hadn't heard anything about Stephen Tsai since then, and I've always wondered about this case. You know, was this authorized? They wanted to kill Dai Kun. I know that, and they had tried before with, you know, an Uzi and a semi-automatic rifle in a parking lot, but all those other people? And why did this guy Kung think he could return to Boston and just go play Mahjong on Tyler Street? Maybe they told him it was okay and they were setting him up, right? 
That's a typical organized crime scam. In the film that I posted last week, the Boston Chinatown Massacre, I'll put it in this week's show notes as well. If you haven't reviewed it, it really encapsulates what happened here. They talked to some local residents, and some people say Chinatown took it really hard, and they still talk about this in hushed tones. I know I mentioned this in the first episode. Other people saw it as just business, you know, and they went about their days. And holy cow, if that's just business, get it out of Chinatown, right? But again, they say the neighborhood's improved. It's always been a good and safe neighborhood. You could really walk through Chinatown at any time of the night, especially since the combat zone is gone. It's very safe. Again, some of the best restaurants in the city are there. And I know I had kind of jokingly said that if you and your friends go out into Chinatown and start some trouble, there's going to be a problem and you're going to lose. That is true. But believe me, you really have to push their buttons. You really have to be a giant a-hole to get taken care of in the manner I suggested in the first episode. It's true, but it was infrequent. And I just wanted to make that case for Chinatown. It's a great neighborhood. But I am willing to bet there are still some gambling houses that I could not get into. (laughs) So I bet that continues. But I think that's all I have on this one for you guys. If you need to get a hold of me, email's the best platform, barry at bostonconfidential.net. Also, guys, I should probably mention Uncle Sook, Hung Tiam Fan, is still on the loose. He's never been brought to justice. Just those two other guys who were involved in the massacre, the shooters. And there is a wanted poster for him. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And the last time Uncle Sook was spotted was in Thailand in the 1990s. And it is implied in that film that I had mentioned, The Chinatown Massacre, that you won't hear from Uncle Sook again. But he could really be anywhere. He was a stone ping on gangster, you know, so he seemed to be a moneymaker for them. Do you ice a guy like that? Not entirely sure, but I know he hasn't been brought to justice. So if you know this guy, there's 30 grand you could put in your pocket for a multiple homicide investigation. That seems a bit low to me. You know what I mean? So. Maybe the FBI knows that he won't be coming down for breakfast, you dig? All right, guys, that's all I have for you on this one. I'll see you on the flip side, and I'll get on to the next one for you. 